to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Richard Harris. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Richard Harris. I want to welcome you to the Truth and Liberty Live Call-In Show. Uh, I am just super excited about today's program. Uh, I've got a really special guest with me live on set today. Uh, before I uh, introduce the guest to you, though, I wanted to just remind everybody uh, that it is a live call-in show, and you can participate in our conversation. We would absolutely love to hear from you, so just call the number that's on your screen in the upper right-hand corner there, 719-619-2341. Also, uh, just wanted also to remind you guys, if you're watching today and you need prayer, you can call in to Andrew's 24-7 Prayer Center. Uh, it's filled with Word of God trained, Spirit-filled prayer ministers who would love to uh, speak with you. So just call into that number, 719-635-1111. And last thing I want to remind you about is if you're not a subscriber to Truth and Liberty, you need to be. We send out emails several times a week that are designed to equip you with the information, the resources you need in order to stand for Christ in the public square. You don't want to miss these emails. So just go on our website and click subscribe. We'll just ask you for your email address and then you'll be a Truth and Liberty subscriber. Well, it's awesome. Today is a, an amazing day because I have one of my favorite people in the world on set with me and it's Congressman Bob McEwen, one of our good friends here at Truth and Liberty and one of the great leaders in the conservative movement today. Uh, Bob McEwen is a retired congressman from the state of Ohio. What, Bob, uh, how many terms were you there? Six terms. Six terms. I wanted to say 16, but six terms uh, from Ohio. You were there uh, during the, the trail end of the Reagan years, the Bush years. And since then, you've gone sort of behind the scenes and helping the conservative movement continue to grow and strengthen throughout the nation. It's just like one of the greatest blessings since I came to work here of just getting to know you. Oh, Richard. I'm really excited that you're here today. Kind of you to say, an honor to be with you. I really love what you and Andrew do. I, the whole world does. So I'm just one of the folks that are, are watching today and looking in. And uh, the fact that you're on top of it, take biblical values and time into daily activities. That's what the world is looking for. They don't know where to go. And uh, that's what Amen. Truth and Liberty Coalition does. Amen. Bless well, you. Well, thank you. And uh, boy, there is so much happening uh, today and so much that we could talk about today. But one of the things that's just I'm really excited about, I think you are too, is the recent election of our Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson from Louisiana. I haven't had the privilege of meeting Mike yet, but I know you know him. And uh, everyone that's in the know that I talk to in the Christian world is super excited about this. Can you just share a little bit about uh, Speaker Johnson now? Who is he, and and do we have good reason to be uh, excited about this? Well, as you know, the the, the uh, president, the Speaker of the House, is second in line to the presidency. You have the president, vice president, speaker, and so it's uh, the highest position we have in the, in the legislature. And there's a lot of competition and a lot of people who spend their entire lives working to try to get to that position. Of course, only one can do it, so the other five or six go by the wayside. Here's a man that loved the Lord. 
And so he uh, lives in Louisiana, was head of the Family Policy Council with, with Dr. Dobson uh, for many years. And then uh, when Alliance Defending Freedom started, he then for seven years was a lawyer with them. And then in 2000, then he ran for the state legislature, was elected in Baton Rouge, and then in 2017 uh, came to the Congress. And uh, people admire to respect him. So the, the the leadership is a speaker, and then you have the majority leader, or the minority, or the, the majority whip, then the head of the conference, and the vice chairman of the conference, which is everybody. And he was vice chairman of the conference. Everybody knew him and loved him. He was just a man that they could always rely upon. So while the folks at the top are just spitting and elbowing each other and and doing all that they can, uh, all Michael did was just be faithful. Mm -hmm. And as we've seen what has happened over these last couple of weeks, the speaker fell, and then other folks did, and eventually uh, last week somebody said, "What about Michael Johnson?" Mm -hmm. And by a unanimous vote, he became the Speaker of the House. Here's a man who knows who he is, knows where wisdom comes from the Lord, and uh, it's just uh, a very exciting time for those who love America. Well, uh, there's a, a great story that uh, uh, Matt Gates shared on uh, Bannon's podcast last week about how this happened. And before we get there, though, I just want to reinforce this. He, uh, my understanding is that uh, after the conference elected him, that he invited the press into the room and called for everybody to join him in prayer. He led the media and all the Republicans in prayer to God right there. And then when he was actually sworn in um, on the speaker's rostrum, you could see his Bible sitting there. And it's not just you know, a bookshelf Bible. This thing was ruffled and, you know, all of that. And, and he referred to the Lord several times in his, in his message. And I, I'm just like this guy. And I'm looking at his, at his background saying he is one of us. He is the real deal. He, re he really is. And, and of course, now what they're going to try to do is America was founded on biblical principles, which is a source of wisdom. Uh, knowledge is handy, but unless you have the wisdom to how to use it. And so the founders of our country, based upon wisdom, and that is the proper use of knowledge that comes from the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. So every, all the colleges, you go to any great college, you go to Harvard, you go to Yale, you go to, and, and one of the most beautiful places in, in the country are the beautiful chapels that are on those mm -hmm. campuses. And because unless you went to, went to chapel first, and you understood where the source of wisdom was, then all this other knowledge wouldn't work. Yeah. So once you shut that down, mm. then you can't even tell a male from a female. Mm. You think that boys can give birth and you, and you become lost because without the wisdom. That's right. So as our founders didn't want that to happen, so they made sure that Congress never met without first calling upon God in prayer to make people understand, uh, have a position of authority. That is, when you, when you swear allegiance not on what you think or what you think, your truth or my truth, it has to be God's truth. He has to swear allegiance on the Bible. That has to be the starting point. And then uh, just to remind people in every official document, every act of Congress, every presidential proclamation, that just remind people the two most important dates in all of world history. I don't care if they're declaring Groundhog Day or passing a law, it says, done in this, the year of our Lord, the 2023rd, and of the independence of the United States, the 247th. So when Christ came with the Spirit of the Lord is there was liberty. So when uh, liberty was God's idea. And so from that, from Christ came and the founding of our nation. So they did everything possible to guarantee it. Now, when, when they tried to take over America in the 1960s, burn the cities to the ground, destroy so many things, uh, they recognized that people loved our country. 
And so they were going to have to get into the institutions. They had to get into Hollywood. They had to get into the colleges. They had to get into the school teacher college. They had to get into the seminaries and begin to move people away from appreciating. So now when you have a man who did what every founder of our country did and every, every president and every speaker up until the last couple of decades that re, they rely upon God, now they're going to say, oh, he wants to make a theocracy. Yeah. Theocracy. <laughs> no, he's not. He's just being an American. And yeah. you folks are so far out of tilt that you, you can sit there and criticize Israel for defending itself. You can say that, that men can breastfeed. You can say, why? Because you, you've abandoned truth. And this man uh, is not interested in a theocracy. He just knows that, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, and that that's what uh, our nation needs to be dependent mm. on. Well, you, uh, Bob, you showed us a picture. I think we might have it ready. If we can put it up on the screen. Uh, here it is. Uh, you want to tell us what we're looking at there, here? There on the, on the left of your screen is the temporary speaker pro tem. That is the person that was appointed uh, by the speaker that in case something happened to him, that this person could call the house into session or out of session. And so for about five days, he was the person that was in charge of the Congress and, and as speaker pro tem. So now that the Congress has elected a speaker and had a vote and how he's about to sign to become the second in line to the presidency, he has to put what he has in his hand, he has to put it down to sign the paper. And if you'll read what he had in his hand was in the book that he was reading where it says, lead like Jesus. And the way that we knew about it is that, that the social media is just exploding and carrying on because they, oh my goodness, there's a man who wants to lead like Jesus. While we're on the topic, if you look in the lower left-hand corner, you, you, you see an inkwell. Mm -hmm. and, and America doesn't have much history because we're young. And just a quick, we're 240 years, that's three times 80. If you know a person 80 years old, that person has lived a third of the history of the United States. Amazing. So it's just a, we're just a little tiny country. Uh, we, we went to a, a restaurant here just in the last couple of weeks over in Europe. It was founded in 1576. And so that's about 200 years before America even got started. Yeah. And, and so, uh, but that inkwell is the only thing that we really have of tradition. That inkwell was used in the First Continental Congress, in the Second Continental Congress, and in every session of the U.S. House of Representatives. And so every, every day, the Sergeant at arms comes out and takes it, puts it in a little, a little velvet bag and puts it away because we don't have all these great things like they have in Europe. That's yeah. our tradition right there. So you yeah. have the tradition with the inkwell, you have the speaker who understands where leadership comes from. And uh, for a whole lot of us, we are really, really happy to have a speaker who, who knows where truth comes from. Well, tell uh, before we leave the whole subject of, of uh, Mike Johnson, uh, share with us, if you would, what you know about the inner workings. You know, once um, the sort of eight Republicans defected, got uh, uh, McCarthy out, they voted with the Democrats. All we hear from the press is, oh, it's chaos, it's chaos. But you never heard why it's chaos and why can't the Republicans get their act together. But I think now we know. Well, I, I think it's, it has been educational for everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, people didn't used to know uh, how the legislative bodies work. And as you mentioned, I was in the Ohio legislature before I went to Congress. And the way that legislatures work is that there are two teams and uh, you take a vote at the beginning and the one with the most votes wins and sets up the speaker. The speaker then establishes the committees, appoints the membership to the committees, chooses the chairman, and only the chairman can consider a bill to come before the Congress. Anybody can introduce one, but only a chairman can call it up for consideration in order to, be, to eventually become law. So w that vote is the most important vote that you can possibly, possibly have. So when people say, well, I vote, there's good people on both teams, and all, that person, that's like, that 
person, when they say that, I don't vote for a party, I vote for the best person, that's immediately, you, that's the person that you're considering to put on your basketball team so you understand. I, there's good people on both teams. And I don't just throw it to the ball with the people with the red shirts. I throw it to the people with the blue shirts sometimes because there's good people on both And you think, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> and so yeah. the, the legislative body, the way it works is that you choose the speaker. And what has happened in recent years, uh, be, began with, uh, it metastasized under, under uh, John Boehner and then it became implemented under Pelosi as well. And it very simply works like this. And let's try not to be too boring here, but quickly, Richard, the, the Congress, uh, the government of the United States has 12 different departments, has interior, has state, has agriculture, has defense. And so you have the appropriation, the money that, that takes money from the treasury. The Constitution says no money shall be extended except by act of Congress. And so if you're going to fund the Pentagon, if you're going to fund the agriculture programs, you have to pass an appropriation to do that. And there's 12 of those. Yeah. And so that's the way it's supposed to work. And, and when I worked for my predecessor, it, it was uh, the fiscal year began in June. But at the end, they're always kind of rushed at the end. So we need to move it to October 1st because October, that'll give us plenty of time to get it done because the day you're sworn in in January, you know that deadline is October. Anybody can do this. But in recent years, they said the speaker has dis discovered as long as I convince them not to pass those bills where they would get on the floor and say, why don't we fund the border? Why is it that we're spending money to do this? I don't know. I want this much money going to, to uh, Ukraine or wherever. If you had it on the floor, people could debate it. What if we just gave them recesses? What if we took off three weeks at presidential in February? What if we took off for, for four weeks for Easter? What if we recessed from 4th of July in for three days and then recess until Labor Day? Now that's the end of September, the first of September. The deadline comes what? October? And you haven't passed anything yet. So then what the speaker says, oh, by the way, you know those 12 bills? Don't worry about that. I've got it all in this one bill here. And he decides what goes in. And then if you don't vote for it, you're going to shut down the government. Grandma's not going to get her Social Security checks. The government's going to fall apart. Our soldiers won't be paid. And so you got, and so they found out by doing that, that the speaker would control. And that's sort of tyrannical. That's what our system was designed not to do. So in the vote to get the uh, McCarthy as speaker in January, they had three different requests. One of them was that appropriations committee that's not functioning, we want some seats on that. And so he, he gave it to him. So that got him a couple more votes. Then they said the rules committee that sets the rules, that says we can make amendments or not. All during, all during uh, the entire time that Pelosi was speaker, Republicans didn't have one single amendment. No Republican that you know. That's why it makes a difference who you vote for. There wasn't one single amendment. And so they said we want the rules committee, which writes a rule for every bill, to allow people on the floor to be able to be heard. And then the final one was this, that throughout history, it's in Robert's Rules of Order throughout the history of the country, and that is that at the point that you disagree with the speaker, you can move to vacate the chair. And that is if enough people agree with you, half the Congress disagrees with you, you get a new speaker. Now, that's never really happened before, and, uh, but it's always been there. And when Pelosi became speaker in 2019, uh, she didn't trust the, the squad, and she thought they might pull this on me, and I've, I've got a narrow margin. So she changed the rules of the House to say that only leadership could move to vacate the chair. Mm -hmm. So this last January, when, when uh, McCarthy is being considered, the, the Republicans said, we want to go back the way it's always been. And McCarthy was scared of that, that, and he kept holding off and holding off, and they got the 12th vote, the 13th vote, the 14th vote, and they still didn't have a speaker. And Pelosi, from California, just like McCarthy, she says, don't worry about this. Give it to them because you're, you'll get more. There's only a handful of troublemakers just like I had. 
and that is, if you need four or five votes, we'll give them to you. Mm. And so he's counting, so he's thinking, so he goes ahead and acts just like she does. No appropriations bills. He knows that the handful of the freedom people are going to get offended. They make their thrust. He's got Pelosi's going to help him. And so Matt Gates, when it came October 1st and they hadn't passed a single appropriations bill, he moves to vacate the chair. And he knows that seven or eight people are going to help him. And so uh, McCarthy's counting on, on a handful of Democrats. And, and everybody thought McCarthy thought he would survive. The Democrats thought he would survive. Matt Gates thought he would survive, but Matt Gates wanted the fight to say, look, he's only there because Pelosi and those folks wanted him there, and he's willing to have the fight. So they have the fight, and Pelosi doesn't keep her word. Oh, sure. She's gone. Not yeah, one yeah. single Democrat. He had a close relationship. The, the, the whips are the people that ever, at the end of every day, they ask the question, minority and majority, what's the session for tomorrow? What time do we go in? What bills are being considered? And the whips work as a team. And so Steny Hoyer was a Democrat whip. McCarthy was the Republican whip for about six years. And they would often take groups to, to Israel together, freshman members, and that's, they were good friends. McCarthy didn't get one Democrat. Every Democrat voted against him, and he, and he, he goes out, and he loses his seat. Now, that time, that's the first time it ever happened. Wow. And with that, the trouble began. We began the, the cascading. And that's why who you vote for in November, you say, well, I don't disagree with this person on that. Which team are they on? Are they on a team that's going to say that every speaker, every chairman has to be pro-life or every chairman is going to be pro-death? Are they going to defend America at the border? Mm -hmm. Not defend, it, 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 The team is what you're voting for, not whether this is your favorite player. Yeah, and now the captain of the team, who has really a great deal of power, doesn't he? I mean, he the speaker has a lot of power in Washington. Controls it all. Controls it all. And so what did he do in his first 24 hours as speaker? He brought up one of those appropriations bills. One of those that should have been all done by October 1st. They haven't been done at all. The very first day he's a speaker, he brings one of them up and it passes. And now he's going to do two or three more this week. And he's going to say, see, with the proper leadership, this can be done. Yeah, with integrity at the helm, uh, you know, good things are going to happen. Well, so those people that had the, the inside track and they, they could get, they could win it on the floor, but if they could, they could get it in the single bill, the, the, the lobbyists and all, they liked that program. No. So they're going to really be ticked because now Congress is going to have say in the open under, under Mike Johnson. Well, and there's a lot more, if you vote on single appropriations bills, there's more accountability and transparency. There so. sure is. And it's probably easier, easier on the individual congressman because it, if you've got this giant appropriations bill that has everything in it and they object to one piece. I said, all right, I had to do it. I disagreed, but I had to go along. Yeah. And that's how, that's how, Richard, that's how with Republican Congress, we funded uh, Planned, Planned Parenthood. Parenthood. Yeah. There's no way Planned Parenthood could survive on the floor. Right. But only because the speaker stuck it in there and it passed through all that time. Well, so Matt Gates, who's the congressman from Florida that started this whole process, went on Steve Bannon's podcast shortly afterwards and gave a story that if you guys can find it, you need to watch it. But just to, can you summarize what happened there? Because I think it's fascinating. And to me, uh, it shows that God's hand is in this because it's such an unlikely that uh, a chain of events, just a little bit more on, on this. Well, Scalise was the first substitute. He was the majority leader. He, you think he'd be next in line? 
right? Yeah. But uh, there were some people that, that said, no, we don't like this whole process or we're not going to vote for you. Actually, they were McCarthy supporters. So, so Scalise went by the wayside. Then they went to Jim Jordan because conservatives liked it. Mm -hmm. But again, the, the folks that were, that were McCarthy advocates, uh, they didn't vote for, for Jordan and he went by the boards. And so then they went to the chairman of the campaign committee, who's the whip. So you go speaker, majority leader, whip. So now you've got all three of the leadership. And uh, Emmer from Minnesota, and some folks said, we're not for him. And with that, when that happened in the conference, <clears throat> a fellow, a freshman from New York, he said, let's just quit going through this recess and having people compete and interview and all this that we've been doing this now for, for whatever number weeks, of days yeah. it was. And he said, the guy that came in second to Emmer was Mike Johnson. Why don't we just move that we can vote for him? And, and the leadership that didn't want, uh, yeah. didn't want this to happen immediately said, well, that'd be a violation of the rules. He said, very simply, we're parliamentarians. We know that. We're, I ask unanimous consent to suspend the rules and let's take a poll right now. Yeah, he just wanted a straw poll. And yeah, like, to, find, no, to find out. And so now they see this thing might be running too fast because McCarthy's team wanted a thing to drag out forever that he would be the only one that could win. But he didn't, so now Johnson is brought before us. They didn't have, we don't have time to fix this. They're about to have a vote. And so McCarthy got up and objected. Yeah. And when he personally got up and objected, everybody could say, oh, okay, now I understand why this is happening. He's the lone objector in the entire Republican conference to this common sense, hey, let's just take a straw poll here. And everyone so, was like, So they took the straw, uh -huh. po straw poll, yeah. and there were about three dozen or so that voted no. And then here's where Mike Johnson became speaker. He said, I request a recorded vote. Yeah. We want to see who these 33 people are. And so, because everybody sort of halfway knew who they were, and they know alphabetically where they are. Uh -huh. And uh, so the fellow from, from Nebraska that voted against every time, so he's a, he's a B, and they start down through, and when he voted for Johnson, they voted for Johnson, and they say, we're going to be alone, and by the time they finished the roll call, it was unanimous. And they said, all right, let's go to the floor, and that's how he's the speaker. It's like when the co-defendants start flipping, you know, <laughs> and saying, I'll testify against the main guy. And, and so the end result was a unanimous election of Mike Johnson. McCarthy is hung out to dry. His co-conspirators, if you will, are revealed for what they really are. And America's left with uh, this strong believer who understands America's heritage, America's Christian foundation. And it's just like, I, I'm, I'm just rejoicing because it seems like a God deal. And who knows what the Lord is going to do through that. So let's go immediately to the next step. And that is when you do what's right, Satan takes notice. Mm. And so he is going to be, he is yes. going to be attacked like no one has ever been attacked. He's going to be accused of everything. And uh, we just saw some people in the Sunday programs uh, yesterday uh, called him the David Duke of Louisiana. Now, David Duke was a Democrat member of the legislature in Louisiana. A racist, yeah. And, and a racist. So, so they, they can begin to do this sort of thing. Therefore, say, what can I do? Pray. Mm -hmm. This is a spiritual battle. So if it's a spiritual battle, that means you're not going to use a machete. You're going to use the power, uh, uh, biblical power, spiritual power, and that's our responsibility. Pray for him. And then... It's not that complicated. Send him a word of encouragement. Amen. Because you rest assured, the New York Times and those folks, well, by the time, they, they weren't expected this. Mm -hmm. They did a five-page hit piece uh, a week ago Sunday in the Washington Post on Jim Jordan because they thought he was going to be. Now they're going to have to scramble around. And, and, and when they, the things that they're going to accuse him of, we have yet to hear or see. So therefore, for our sake of our nation and uh, the cause of freedom, we need to encourage him and ask God's hedge of protection. 
Well, that's awesome. Well, guys, this you're watching the Truth and Liberty live calling show. I'm Richard Harris, and I've got as my guest today uh, the venerable Bob McEwen, former congressman from the state of Ohio and a great leader in the conservative movement. Um, and and Bob, I just want to kind of ask you, uh, how are things from your perspective? I don't know if there's anybody that sort of sees the broad landscape quite as well as you do. As far as you know, the, the Reagan revolution, the, the restoration of, of uh, limited government, uh, the Constitution, true conservative movement in America, do you think we are actually making progress today? Has the pendulum started swinging back the other direction? Well, I, I think, Richard, I think that we're, we're on the bubble. I think, I think we're on, uh, on the threat of losing everything. This is as serious as it's ever been. We've always said this is the most important election, that kind of thing, but this is, this is really serious. We've never had people that really just hated America. Yesterday, at the Sydney Opera House in Sydney, Australia, they were chanting, gas the Jews. Lord. Now, you wouldn't think that that would happen. That same chant was in, was in the at Grand Central Station, was on the Brooklyn Bridge in New York. What, uh, kill the Jews and, and support Hamas. Hamas exists for one reason, not for sewer and water, not for any, for, to kill, kill Jews. Jews. That's what Hamas is committed to doing. And all of these major colleges are doing. Now, we've never had that before. We studied about it in the 1930s in Germany, and we think, oh my goodness, how could they do such a thing? The fascists, when they, there were 16 Democrat members of Congress, that when they came out in support of Israel, the resolution, the first thing that Mike Johnson did, his first act was to bring up a resolution of support for Israel because of what happened there. And what happened was worse than the Nazis. Mm. The Nazis were not proud of what they did. They lied and they hid it. These people were proud of what they were doing and they boasted about it and put it on social media where they took babies and chopped their heads off. The Nazis, the Nazis hid it away. They, did, they weren't bragging about it. So these people are, for only one reason, because they were Jewish. They wanted to kill Jews. And uh, they, ha they have a video of a fellow who's talking to his parents. He said, I killed 10 with my own hands. I killed 10 Jews. I killed, and they hear his, his parents saying, Allah Akbar, Allah, praise be to Allah for killing those Jews. Now, that's not 1935. That's not 1938. That's not 1940 or 42. That's today in America. So uh, the, uh, what has taken place in our left-wing colleges and newspapers uh, is such that they will undo the great nation that we have. However, the possibility on the alternative side is that you saw what happened in 48 months of Donald Trump being president. Mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned, you take the median income, and everybody, everybody can do this. There's a thing called FRED. That's the Federal Reserve Economic Data, and it has every piece of data that you can imagine. And if you go back and if you check the median income for America, always rise from, from 1787 all the way up through to 1994. In 1993, Joe, uh, or Bill Clinton signed, signed an agreement to World Trade Organization to bring in China and, and with that began to protect, called it a developing nation, which is still to this day, the Congress has done that. And so the median income in America began to plateau and you find two, 1996, 2006, 2016, for 20 years, never happened in the history of our country, is absolutely flat, while China is growing very, very rapidly. Donald Trump, one man, one man, 15 candidates in the Republican Party, handful in the Democrat Party, only one man said, 
I don't like that. I want to put a stop. I want to make America great again. I don't think we should be sending all our money. People save their money as retirement for a teacher or for a, or a factory worker. You put it in a retirement fund and you send it to China to create jobs. Even though our retired military are creating uh, Chinese bombs. To, and, and so, so when he did that, the stock market in America began to go up 55% in four months, and the stock market in China went down 47%. And so America took off like a rocket. We became energy independent, which I'd always said, anytime we had a leader that wanted to, we could do that. Mm -hmm. America became energy independent. Instead of sending money abroad, people were buying it from us. Money was coming home. The dollar becomes stronger and stronger. China, and, and, and we saw what could happen. That made New York unhappy, made Hollywood unhappy, made Silicon Valley unhappy, because they were taking all their money and putting it in China. Now they're not making their money in China, and so they did everything humanly possible to get rid of him. We now have a president who knows what to do if he becomes president. He's a person we know we don't need to worry about whether or not he has the guts to close the border because he did, whether or not he has, he has the guts to, to stand up to China because he did, to stand up to Russia so we don't have, to stand up on behalf of Israel and get peace with other countries rather than the war that we see. We know what will happen if he can win. If he can win, the hallowed out economy of China is very, very weak. We could take off like a, a rocket, and this can be the best time in American history. We're right on the bubble, decide which direction we go. Well, uh, we've got about 20 seconds left. I just want to share with everybody, this is a live call-in show. If you've got questions for Congressman McEwen, uh, please call in. The number is 719-619-2341. And uh, we're going to take about a minute and a half now to share some information, and we'll be right back after this. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Andrew has many conferences and seminars around the globe each year. For the latest information on Andrew's complete speaking schedule, visit our website at awmi.net slash events. You were created with a purpose. Written in the heart of God. Long before you were born, He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love, to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. Okay, well, we're back here on the Truth and Liberty Live call-in show. I'm Richard Harris, and it's just an awesome privilege for me to have Congressman Bob McEwen with me live on set today. And uh, we've been talking about the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. We've been talking about the economy uh, and, and what's happening in our country today. Are we turning a corner here? Uh, uh, Bob, you said that we are on a bubble, and I, I totally understand where you're coming from here. I, I'm starting to see more and more indicators of good news. Donald Trump is leading Joe Biden by up to six points right now. Now that could change on a dime. You never know what's going to happen there. Um, uh, the, the field seems to be winnowing now on that side of the equation. We'll see who, who sticks it out. Do you think that uh, Ron DeSantis has any chance at all of beating Donald Trump in the Republican primary? 
Well, I, I think people recognize that uh, the reason people hate Donald Trump is because they know that he'll actually do it. He's not going to be a politician. Right. He will keep his word. Uh -huh. uh, I, he was coming to speak for us, and Richard, I think you were there, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and his brother had died. And so he had every excuse not to come because they were going to have the funeral that afternoon. And uh, he said, he asked, he said, when did I commit to do this? And they told him he did it. And he just said, then, then I need to go do it. I asked the head of Office of Management and Budget, that's the person who controls every dime that's spent in the government, and he had these things, I'll just tell you one about Planned Parenthood. See, Planned Parenthood says that they do all these wonderful things for women, and they just, they, all of these, and actually, they, they only do one thing, that's abortion. Mm -hmm. But in order to do so, they have to take their blood pressure, and they have to insert, the, and then they have to put a, a Band-Aid on it. And, and so they had like 23 things that they did. We do all these things for women. And they also said that, that they did mammograms. They say that year after year until finally, a few years ago, people said, how many do you do? And they went him all around, you know, lots of conversation. They, never, they kept driving and finally said none. Is, Planned Parenthood has never done a mammogram. Right. It doesn't have a single, but they, they always talked about that thing. So, so the, the head of OMB under Trump said, you know, since you do all those wonderful things for women, that's just really great. You just go right ahead and do those things, but we're going to ask that you not do them in a place where you do abortions. <laughs> well, well, that, the, the jig was up. <laughs> that is because they don't do anything except abortions. So all this wonderful things that they do of taking their blood, uh, yeah. their heartbeat, and taking their blood pressure, and taking it's all for the purpose of abortion. So, I, so the, a person said, "Now, when you do this with Donald Trump, uh, he said, when you come in with these proposals." What's it like dealing with, with Donald Trump? And he said this. He said, the first question out of Donald Trump's mouth every time is, have I taken a position on this? Mm -hmm. And they say, yeah, well, yes, Mr. President, uh, 18 months ago in Pennsylvania, you said such a, fine, next. He, he, if he gave his word, he's gonna keep it. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we saw that all the way through. Now that has people frightened because they know what will happen at the border. Mm -hmm. They will know what will happen to taking millions and millions of dollars and to fly pe um, people in the military around to have abortions in the states that are convenient and get three week off whenever they want to do it, or to, or to bring in transgender people into the military and, and have these sessions where they're focusing on race rather than defense and all. They, they know that he'll clean this all up. He won't just threaten like other people do. Now there are other wonderful people that say they'll do it, and Many of them would intend to do it, but I will just say this, we know that this guy will, and he's paying a price for it. They, what they're doing in New York is they're trying to say, to take it away his capacity to, to collapse his companies. Not mm -hmm. just fine him, not just, but take away his right to own. They're gonna close the corporations, which were incorporated under New York law. Now that's exactly what Castro did. That's what Lenin did. That's what Marxists do when they take over in Venezuela or wherever. And we've never seen anything like that. And they're doing that to Donald Trump because they want to break him in every way possible and then eventually put him in jail. And for that reason, I think that there are many wonderful, I, I love every single one of them, and I would say this, I, I cannot think of a single thing that I've ever heard uh, uh, Ron DeSantis say that I disagree with. I think he's a prince of a man and he's mm -hmm. proven to be an excellent, excellent governor. And, and there are others that are just very talented. But right now, the, the, we, in this time of crisis, uh, Eisenhower is wonderful and I love him, but we needed Patton to go in there and get the job done. Mm. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so, so we, could leave, we, we could leave Eisenhower in London working the, working the phones, but we needed somebody to march into, into Berlin. Well, so I, I voted for Trump. I loved, I thought he was a fantastic president. My, I, 
I'm concerned that he is changing his position on abortion. Um, and some comments he's made where he's sort of indicated that we need to come to a national consensus on abortion, pass a national law. Uh, that sure sounds like he's headed towards, you know, combine that with his criticism of the heartbeat bill in Florida and some other things. Uh, does that worry you? And what do you know? Not, about in, the that? not in the slightest, because uh, no one in history, no one in history has said, I'm going to appoint pro-life judges. Mm -hmm. You think of the finest people that we respect for our president, they said, well, we're going to appoint people that are constitutionalists, mm -hmm. that read the, the Constitution straight. Right? Yeah. They, they, they wouldn't say that, that uh, they were even just pro-life. He said, I'm going to appoint only pro-life judges that will overturn Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. Now, that, uh, that man <laughs> who has kept his word, they're, they're going to, they're, the, the, most solid, the most solid demographic for Democrats are single white females. And they are, and, and this is their number one issue. And they, 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 they bought the idea that if you go to work and you keep your cats and you work all the, that now you're 35 and 38 or 42 with no family and no children and no, and, and, and they're bitter. And they are very, they are the most solid Democrat votes. And that's, and that's the one thing that motivates them. And he's saying, well, you know, we're, we're working on this, but we'll have to see how this comes out. Because he's already done what needed to be done. That is, he took it back to the states, and the individual states are going to work it. So uh, the, the, his opponents in the Republican Party are just grasping to try to find something. Say, well, you see, this sounds like this could be that. So uh, I, the proof is in the pudding. You think he's going to he's going to hold? Do I think he's going to waffle? <laughs> Not in a in a moment. Well, and, and the left knows it, too. Yeah. So, so well, we'll here's another question for you on the economy. I just saw yesterday the, the the deficit, national deficit. That's the difference between what the government brings in and what it spends for fiscal year 2023 is one point. I'm going to say 1.7 trillion dollars. And uh, I'm sure that that number is probably bigger than uh, the entire national debt when you were in Congress or something close to it. Am I right? Yeah, the entire deficit for the whole country, or the whole debt. Uh, yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. And that's just one year. That's just one year. And, and that's intentional. I mean, Joe Biden, this is why we need a new speaker. Joe Biden gave $100 million to Hamas. Now stop and ask me why. We do, we're going to go borrow money, pay interest on it for over 30 years, saddle our children, 100 million to Hamas. Now what's their claim to fame? Their claim to fame is that they put out the word that Israel destroyed, killed 500 people in a hospital. And everybody talked about it, and the, and, and, we, and, and the Washington establishment condemned them, and Biden came along and said, well, we're going to, out of humanitarian reasons, we're going to send them $100 million. The entire thing from start to finish was a lie. That hospital is still there. Not one single person was killed. Now, in the process of trying to kill Jews, they had an explosive bomb that went off in the, in the parking lot. But New York Times, Washington Post, NBC, CBS, PBS, all of these folks condemned Israel. Israel for killing these people in this hospital. And for that, when the President of the United States went over there, the people that he was supposed to meet, the head of the countries in Jordan, we won't even talk to you. Yeah. Now, when Donald Trump became President, his first speech was in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Yep. 56 Arab country heads came to see him. 
Now, that's the difference between a leader when America is in leadership and they have people that, I'll come see you. Nah, I don't even want to see you. And they made the Secretary of State, uh, went, went to a, a neighboring country while over there, made him sit in a chair for seven hours before they'd even meet with him. That's the secretary representing the strongest nation on earth. So in, in answer to your, your question, Donald Trump is interested in keeping us strong, protecting our dollar. This crowd is inter interested in weakening our dollar by borrowing money and handling it away so that people no longer trust the dollar. So that you saw um, last month in South Africa, 26 nations said, no longer are we gonna rely upon the dollar, the reserve currency since World War II, we're gonna shift to, to China. And that's because of the Obama Biden goals to make America financially weak. And how do you, how do, you do that? Here, here's, here's the key, Richard. You cannot change economic laws by passing legislation. You just make a fool out of yourself trying. So when Donald Trump comes in and makes America strong, that makes the dollar strong because now we're not borrowing, to, we're not buying from our enemies. People are coming to buy oil from us and we're doing all these things. Now when you come in and the very first thing you do on the very first day, I will take about, I was on the 1776 commission. It took him four and a half hours. He didn't even wait till dinner time to get rid of the, because we were pro-American. So he abolished the 1776 Joe Biden. Joe Biden on the very first day. So, but then the next day he closed down the pipelines, which would bring in oil. Keystone, yeah. then, then he went and he sent John Kerry to Iran to tell the Iranians, you know all those sanctions that Trump had on you? We can't say we're gonna get rid of them because we'd be too much, but you go ahead and sell all you want because we're not going to enforce them. And with that, they now have $100 billion from, our, from sales in their pocket. They took that billions of dollars, they give it to Hezbollah to attack Israel, gave it to Hamas to attack Israel because of Biden and Kerry and the people that vote for him to do that. And that includes people like Beth Moore and these other folks that are saying that we need to have, the, have Biden in office and we're paying the consequence. And they said, there's things other than abortion. We were thinking, what do you mean other than abortion? Well, we now know what they meant. They meant transgender, they meant abandoning Israel. They meant these other things. And so that's why by running that deficit, making the dollar weak, that strengthens our enemies. And all of that has to be resolved at the next election. Wow. Well, uh, you know, it's my belief that when you're trying to figure out what someone really believes and which way they're going to vote in office, uh, the most important question you can ask them is where do they stand on life? Because I think if they give you the right answer on that, not give you the right answer, but if they truly are pro-life, they believe in the sanctity of life, uh, that God created that person in the womb, then chances are that their worldview is going to line up on the other big issues too. And the opposite is also true. If they, if they are not pro-life, then you cannot count on them voting for Israel. You can't count on voting for free enterprise, voting for uh, truth in American history or anything else. Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. Our founders who, who build it on wisdom and the experience of what other countries have done, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Now, where does truth come from? Well, my truth and your truth. No, no, no. Endowed by their creator. Well, what do you mean by creator? It's right there. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who was that? Jesus Christ, or the word, or God, or the creator. It's a synonym. And man is endowed by Jesus Christ. Man is endowed by God. Man is endowed by his creator with certain inalienable rights. Only country in the history of man. Among those are 
life, then liberty. Notice the sequence. Yes. See, liberty is a precious little value if you're dead. You have to have life first, then liberty, then sewer systems and overpasses. But the first thing you do is life. And this nation said life so that a Jew knew that he could be chased around the globe anywhere. If he could get only under the protection of the canopy of the, of the American flag, he would be safe because Americans protect life and then liberty. And so Thomas Jefferson on the right there in the memorial, it says the God who gave us life, gave us liberty at the same time. So where does liberty come from? It come, it's a godly idea. So where a person stands on life, we'll tell you, and, and just remember this, any politician, any politician that will take innocent life will not hesitate to take your liberty. Mm -hmm. So your question, where do they stand on life? It, everything else flows from that. So when we hired anyone in our office, first thing we ask them, how do you stand on life? Well, I'm supposed to be the, re be the receptionist and I can't change it anyway. <laughs> and, I, and that's my private opinion. Man, if you don't stand right on life, then everything else is downstream. And that's why you and I, as American citizens, have every right to ask the question, Sheriff, where do you stand on life? Well, I'm a sheriff, I can't change it. Mm -hmm. If you don't stand on life, then you don't, I know where you stand on liberty. And then Dennis Prager says it so well. The next question is, if you wanna know where they stand internationally, ask them where they stand on Israel. Right. And so you ask them about life and Israel, and you know 90% of all you need to know about that candidate. That's right, it's that simple. <laughs> well, Bob, I've got so much more I wanna talk about, but we do have a caller on the line I'd like to take uh, right now. And so uh, let's go to Donna, who's calling in from Texas today. Donna, thank you for calling. What's your question for Bob McEwen? You might have already answered this, um, but I saw on my phone today um, that they're trying to get it where Trump can't even get on the ballot. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're going to do everything possible. They're going to try to lock him up because this is what totalitarian governments do is that they try to take their opponents, arrest them and put them in jail. And uh, it happens quite often. I, I remember being invited to go to Costa Rica and uh, a former president that uh, the new president had come in and they were gonna put him in jail. And so we had a breakfast with the attorney general who was a friend of mine who put the breakfast together and a former president in Costa Rica who had been in jail. And we mm. met with the new one who is now gonna be put in jail and we prayed with him and, and encouraged him and all because that's what totalitarian uh, third world tin horn dictators do. And uh, this president, uh, step by step, uh, wanted to see how far they could go. And so they began to break in to the lawyer for Donald Trump and to take the, law, the notes from the lawyer because they're supposed to, to be a protection between uh, a, a lawyer and his, and his client. And when there was no real uprising for that, they said, well, here's what we'll do. We'll just break into his house. And, uh, and so they took pictures of all these boxes. Now, in the, in the complaint that Donald Trump had these secret documents, now, by the way, they never mentioned the law. The law says that, that these are presidential documents. So if I may remember, you may have seen the series it was called The Crown. And it's, it's the story of Queen Elizabeth when she becomes the, 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 the queen. And so the, the day before her coronation, they're practicing. And so she puts on the crown and it's very heavy and she's only 23 years old. And so she's kind of trying to hold it. And so as they're putting it away and she's leaving, uh, she says to the, to the keeper of the royal uh, goods, she said, do you think I could borrow it tonight for a little bit? And, and, the, and the keeper of the crown, Jules, looks at me and said, borrow it, ma'am? Borrow it from whom? If it's not yours, whose is it? Mm 
And, and the same applies to these presidential documents. Mm -hmm. They don't belong to some bureaucrat somewhere. They belong to the president. And they're only talking 131. But they take pictures of all these boxes and bathrooms and, and stages and, and all these other things. And then they, they take top secret and lay it on the floor and take pictures and put it out to create this, this impression. And when they could go into his house, go through all of his private, go through his, his wife's drawers, his, his son's drawers, take his, his passport, go do all of these things. And then little by little, and there's no uproar. Then they say, well, we're going to do the next thing. We're just going to. We're just going to accuse him of things that uh, we'll just make it up as many as we want, and we'll actually try to put him in jail. And so this is a this is a Rubicon that we've passed three or four times we've never seen before, and now they're going to try to keep him from getting on the ballot because they are fearful that the American people. And, and here's the thing about the left: you always know what they're up to because it's what they accuse you of. Right. And so when when they talk about uh, destroying our democracy, we, we we don't know what they're talking about. And then we realize they know what they're talking about. They want to destroy our democracy. They want to put the candidates in jail so you can't vote for them. The list goes on and on. So uh, it's, a, it's a serious thing. And that's why we have to vote with great, great numbers. Because uh, Chicago is going to be corrupt. And Detroit is going to be corrupt. And Philadelphia is going to be corrupt. And we have to, everyone else in the rest of the country has to, has to vote. Half of all evangelicals are not registered to vote. And so what can you do? We're not asking you to storm, to storm Normandy. Uh, we're not ask, asking you to sleep in the snow uh, with George White. We're just asking you to make an X and show up on election day or a month before, be sure and vote. So your responsibility before God, this has been lovingly entrusted to us, this lighthouse for the gospel. Now remember this, if you take all the money that goes for global evangelism, America's only 4%. Of the other 96% of the world, if you take all the money that goes for global evangelism and you increase it five and a half times, that's still not as much as the 4% that America gives. America is the lighthouse for the gospel. Scripture says if you take down a city, you must bind a strong man. There's only one strong man. It's America. This is a spiritual battle. And half, and, and this is where you, I know that you're going to ask me shortly, Richard, about if I see a change. The, the preachers that went through seminaries for the last 40 years have been trained to watch out, to convince their God's people to not protect this lighthouse for the gospel. And they were told in the seminary, now you have a higher calling, you have an eternal calling, and those politicians are going to try to crawl over the, the wall, and they'll try to get you focused. And you have to make sure you don't, you keep your people right focused. They can steal the school boards and teach all kinds of, of perversion to your children. You don't want to get involved. It, when, when, when the city council knows that they're, they're, they're making these various demands, and the, and the city council wants to get, what is the spiritual guidance? And so they have to go to the, go to the editorial boards, or they have to go to the, to the university. When they come to the church, oh, we don't get involved. We don't get involved. We've done that for, for the last 40 years until now. We're in a very critical position. And there seems to be an awakening that's taking place in the last couple of years where even pastors are beginning to recognize that if God's people can finally get involved, we can save this lighthouse for the gospel and we have to do it. Otherwise, we're going to stand before God and say, I buried my talent. I didn't even bother to show up and do my part. And the Lord was very aggressive. You worthless servant, depart from me. Uh, but those that were faithful, he said, he, he give them double what they had. So that, that's where we are at this moment. Wow, that's incredible. You know, it's a, um, 
It's amazing, Bob. There's, God has ordained this country. It's, it's, uh, in my view, it's the only nation except for Israel that ever had a covenant with God. Exactly. And America was birthed um, by Christians seeking to build a Christian society, a Christian nation, and uh, committed our country, our land to God. And, and I say to people, you know, uh, God hasn't, uh, he hasn't broken his side of the deal. He's still ready and willing to prosper America, to make us that shining city on a hill. We're the ones that need to repent. We're the ones that need to come back to him. And, uh, you know, I, what signs are you seeing that Americans are waking well, up? Well, let me just emphasize a, a bit on that. I repeat, the standard for righteousness, for right and wrong, <clears throat> is the United States of America. So when they want to do something weird in, in the parliament in Australia or New Zealand, they'll say, well, even in America, mm -hmm. because America is the standard. If a ship is attacked on the high seas, as happened over 300 times last year, to whom can you appeal? I don't care if you're a British trawler in the Straits of Hormuz, if you're a, a ship in the, in the South China Sea, if you're a yacht in the Caribbean, and these pirates come, to whom can you appeal? Only the 327,000 Americans wear the uniform of the United States Navy. You can say, help me, help me. We are the standard for right and wrong. Everybody knows you can appeal. You can't appeal to Argentina or Brazil or what. You can appeal to America. That's what keeps things in copyright law, in banking law, in everything. And so therefore, the Chinese and people who want, let's, let's just take the South China Sea. The South China Sea, between 65 and 70% of all maritime traffic goes through the South China Sea. The entire world. Of the entire world. The entire world. Japan imports, fourth largest economy in the world, imports 100% of their oil. Now, the Americans <clears throat> maintain peace on the, on, the, uh, on the seas. Let us suppose, as Obama wanted to withdraw, said we're, we're not going to be involved there, and the Chinese began to make little islands where they can control who goes and comes. Under, under Trump, that stopped. Once Biden came in, then they began building them again. When, when the, let us suppose that China and the United States has gone as the standard for righteousness. And they say to the Japanese, you know, unless you break diplomatic relations with Israel, there's going to be a 25% surcharge on any oil coming through the South China Sea. Now, if you don't like it, you can go around the world and it'll cost you twice as much. Now, they're, they're meeting in the diet in Tokyo. Are we going to sacrifice our economy for uh, an embassy in, in Israel or are we going to succumb? The world has not seen what would happen if the United States is not the strongest, most powerful nation on earth, because we have, we have been that since World War II and everybody's treated fairly. For example, we built a canal across the Isthmus of Panama. Oh. Now Jimmy Carter gave it away, of course, and so when he did, they now have Chinese military installations on both sides, both ends of that canal. But under the American tradition, when you come up to that canal, you get in line. I don't care if you're an American or who you are. Now, when America's no longer the leading nation and China's in control, can China can say, unless you pay this fee, unless you do that, you, America, you can go around because they control it. Let me, let me make this point, Richard, that everyone should know. Never in the history of the world, never in the history of the world has a nation become the premier nation on earth. Rome, Peloponnesian, Spain, France, Britain, never has a nation become the premier nation, but what it didn't seek it and knew what it had to do to get there and to stay there. With the single exception of the United States of America after World War II, the only nuclear power could have controlled the entire planet. But we got there not because we sought it, 
that because on April 1947, the people that had been the leading power on earth for 150 years, Clement Attlee, the Prime Minister of Britain, sent a telegraph to Harry Truman and said, unless the United States, now remember at the start of World War II, we had the 19th largest army in the world, smaller than Romania, Britain was the leading world for peace. So now after World War II, 1947, he said, unless America intervenes in the Cyprus crisis, Cyprus will be lost. The crown has neither the capacity nor the will to intervene. And with that, the torch was passed to a nation that didn't ask for it, didn't seek it, and quite frankly, <laughs> wished it would go away, but it has performed very, very well. So this generation of college students and these professors from all around the world under the term diversity. What does diversity mean? They weren't American. And so they bring these people from these godforsaken countries to train our kids on how evil our country is. Now, when this new generation, they have no idea what it would be like to have a world leader that is not, does not behave with righteousness as America has done since 1947. And that's what is at risk in the days ahead. Now, you, you mentioned about do I see a change? That's where I repeat. For the first time, I see these pastors that have long since kept a foot against the door and tried to stiff arm anyone that tried to get Christians involved in saving their schools and saving their community. And instead of putting the homeless out on the street that we actually throughout 200 years in our country, we had a, a place to care for the poor and the elderly. Only the left wing throws them out like we're some third world hellhole and leaves them out there on the street sleeping on grates. That's all been a consequence of the last 30 years or so. So now finally, the people, because of COVID, where they found out that somebody can say, you can't have church on Sunday. And besides, if you do, you, know, you can't give communion because you can't do sit more than six feet away and all that. The, the, mm -hmm. it, many of them are starting to come awake. As they're coming awake, I see a real potential for an awakening and a revival. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're praying for. Well, uh, Bob, let's talk a little bit about the border, if we can, another cheery subject. Um, how, uh, how serious is the situation there? And I, I was with a person who was in special forces, who has just returned from Israel uh, and, and, uh, and the Gaza Strip, and, but, but primarily those going through those homes and trying to, to get the young people that still survived the trauma of seeing their parents killed or they escaped or hid someplace. And, uh, and he, he was describing that, that he said, all of this that's been going on in Israel, those people are, they're not, that's not coming to America. He said, that's already here. Uh, that, that these millions of people, able-bodied, single males, mm -hmm. by the hundreds of thousands, now they're coming from China wearing military fatigues. Now, and we're letting them just come across the border and their cells all over our country. We're going to have a serious, serious fight. Uh, when we come back, I'd like to, to touch on that for a second to explain the dis distinction between the biblical taking in the stranger yes. and, and protecting our borders. Right. Absolutely. Well, uh, folks, uh, this is Truth and Liberty, and uh, I'm here with Congressman Bob McEwen, retired congressman from uh, the state of Ohio and the executive director of the uh, Council for National Policy, one of the leading conservative organizations in the nation and uh, it's just such an incredible conversation we're having so don't go away we're going to take a break for about 90 seconds and we'll be right back after that to talk to Congressman McEwen and take your questions. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square.
we got to stop looking at this word as someday. We got to look at it. it is for now. And the spirit of God that created the universe, don't you think is big enough to teach you, to show you how to do things? See, it's when you say amen to the promises. This is mine. It's today. It's not 15 years from now. It's today. It's when you say amen that you start to glorify God. Love will give you the courage you need to do what you think you don't dare to do. Stop thinking that one day when I am super spiritual or when I have the money I need or no, start doing what he called you to do right now with the strength you have. So Father, we let your exceeding, immeasurable thought process, power and nature, we say yes to that today. All right, we're back here on Truth and Liberty. Uh, thank you so much for watching today. I'm here again with Bob McEwen, the Executive Director of CNP, the Council for National Policy. It's a real honor to have him here on campus with us, and uh, we're just having this amazing conversation. Uh, so, Bob, we were just starting to talk about the border, the open border. Um, you know, I remember when um, Hillary Clinton was running, and I heard her say on some interview that she actually believed that we should have an open border, and I, my mouth fell open. I was like, how could even a radical, foolish Democrats say such a thing, but here we are. Uh, I don't even know what the numbers are. It's a way to destroy today. America. Well, yeah, what other purpose could there be? Yes. Or to create future Democrats, one or the yeah. other, or both. And, and so when people say, I know that, that many in the Catholic community, and it's estimated nearly a third of all the priests, active priests in America are from Latin America. And so they, they, they've grown up under socialism, they don't understand the distinction of America versus when you cross the border of the Rio Grande, you immediately go from a country that's wealthy and beautiful and safe into the chaos that is on the other side. And so they think that, that by bringing, well, whatever, whatever it is that they think. Here's the point, and that if I, if you or I, we're near Colorado Springs, which is the Air Force uh, uh, Academy, Let's suppose that someone is transferred out of here by the Air Force or in for three years. Would we be willing to rent our house to them? Yes, we would. We'd get a down payment. We'd know who they are. And we would be willing to turn our house over to them. Would we be willing to walk off for three years and leave our house unlocked? No, because who would not come? A colonel in the Air Force would not come and live in the house. A doctor, a lawyer, an entrepreneur would not do that. Who would come? The people who do not abide by the law would come and they would strip out the toilets and sell them for drug money and they would have fires in the, in the living room kitchen and elsewhere and, and the place would be destroyed in three years. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between open borders and legal immigration. Under legal immigration, a person who wants to be a doctor in America is willing to go through the steps. Why? Because if he's a doctor and he came legally, he can get a license and pass the board to practice, or a lawyer, or an entrepreneur. But when you drop the bar, who comes? People that will never be able to prove who they are, therefore they can't buy property, therefore they can't start businesses, therefore they can't provide services. And so these ignorant people, these ignorant folks that say, well, America was built by immigrants. America was built by immigrants who did one thing, came to this country to become Americans, right. to learn the language, to salute the flag, and to become Americans. 
Now, when we have these people, we had it for about six or eight months under Jimmy Carter. We had the Merrill uh, boat lift in which Castro emptied all of his insane asylums, all of his jails, put them on boats, and they came to America, and Jimmy Carter let them come in. And that's one of the reasons that, that Bill Clinton says the reason he lost as governor of Arkansas was because those people came into Arkansas and started raping and pillaging and killing and doing all that. That's what is happening all over the world now under, Donald, uh, under Joe Biden, is that they're emptying their mental institutions, emptying their prisons. They're coming across the boards in, in hordes. And then what they would do is they, they take these little girls and they, they kidnap them and they force the parents to give these, these people money. And when Donald Trump said, no, no, we're, that doesn't give you access to come in, lo and behold, the two previous First ladies, Laura Bush and Michelle Bachman, or pardon me, Michelle Obama, Obama. Uh, attacked attacked Donald Trump because he said, "Just because you have a little girl with you doesn't mean you automatically come in." And we're going to find out who is she and what relationship do you have. And they said that they were ripping children from their arms and all. That. Mm -hmm. Well, now we know, as we've seen, the trafficking that's coming as these little girls come across the border and they've been abused and they're and they're sold and nobody knows where they are or what's happened to them mm -hmm. by the hundreds of thousands. There, there's very few things in American history that will be as bleak or as black or as dark as what has been happening for the last three and a half years at our border because they have deliberately made the case and we even have people in religious circles that somehow think that that's noble for these for these traffickers to steal people and sell them into slavery in America and it's happening all over the place. It's just uh, it's national suicide I think. Yes it but is. you know uh, they've they've had so many illegal crossings that the border states have uh, some of them have put the, the illegal immigrants on buses and sent them into blue states, Correct. places like New York and other places like that, saying, okay, here, you can have a taste of this. And, and the and people in these cities are getting their fill of it. Uh, <laughs> and so Martha's Vineyard, where, where all the, the, the wealthy third generation lefties hang out, and uh, up in Massachusetts. And so uh, the governor of, of uh, Florida gave one bus, one bus, one bus load, one plane load, yeah, and uh, and all oh, they oh this is so wonderful and they came out and welcomed them and gave them all that sort of thing <laughs> for less than 24 hours they, that night that very night they brought in the national guard loaded them up and got them off of, off of the island they wouldn't let them stay overnight they wouldn't let them stay 24 hours and yet they they claimed that they were a har they were they were uh, you know a harbor mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. was that. Uh, Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and so these potential for sleeper cells here in the United States, extremely serious. Iran uh, and leaders of these of Hamas and, and Hezbollah are saying, watch out, America, you better stop supporting Israel or we're going to make the announcement. It sure sounds like they have something already set up in America and it's just going to take the command to release it. Uh, I, is, fear, I fear it's a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. And like I say, uh, the the hundreds of millions of dollars that have gone into major coffers in Iran and in and in Russia, that uh, when 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 America be, quit producing the oil, that that we, we could be producing anywhere from four to six million barrels a day more had we not shut it off the the new leases under under Biden, uh, that drove the price of oil up 
which meant money into the coffers in Iran and in Putin. So it's the best thing ever happened to both of them. So they have the money to do the things that they're doing in Ukraine or here in the United States. So it's, uh, uh, when, when, those, when those certain leaders said that there are things other than abortion as to why you, sh you should vote left, uh, I repeat, we scratched our head and said, what are you talking about? Well, we know what they're talking about now because mm -hmm. we've seen it particularly the transgender thing. You know, the LGBT, people didn't focus on that. The lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, it's been around here now for 10 or 15 years. People didn't focus. Now they've gone through the lesbian and the gay, now in the bisexual and in the transgender with their own separate flag and the whole bit. So that's what, that's what happens when, when, when man becomes God. Yeah. Rather than God being God. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, you know, these, uh, Democrat policies are not just wrecking our border, they're wrecking our cities too, right? Um, homeless camps, open drug use, um, uh, prostitution in family neighborhoods, women walking the streets, uh, uh, just incredible filth. My, my son uh, went to California um, a few months ago for uh, a thing he had to do. The only government office he could get to was there, bizarrely, but anyway, um, he, he said, Dad, I was driving down the highways and I couldn't believe it. It's just homeless tents as far as the eye can see. Uh, the entire state is just turned into a cesspool. When are, do you think people are going to wake up that Democrat policies don't work? It's, it's, it's no small frustration that people would vote for that. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think of, particularly I'm thinking of spiritual leaders yeah. that, that came out against Donald Trump so that this could happen. Mm -hmm. I remember the, the first time I saw abject total poverty like that, it was in New Delhi in 1976, where I saw people had taken uh, blankets and tied them to the fence around the government buildings and they were living under those blankets with the little children there on the floor and things. And you think, well, that's a country where you have various levels and if you see a baby starving on the, on the ground, you don't bend over and pick her up because that's a Christian thing to do. Well, you want that baby to go ahead and die so it can go to the next level or something. And I was thinking, this is abject, this is terrible. In America, uh, as you look at De Tocqueville and all the rest, every little town, and I represented 17 counties in Ohio, every county had had a poor house. It had a house that was built, and I look back in my home county to, to find out, the population of my county when they built the poor house was 3,300 people. And the wow. first thing they did was they built a place to care for the, the poor and the elderly and the orphans and that sort of thing. So they've closed all those down, and the left has said, we can't incarcerate people who are not a threat. We're just gonna throw them out on the street. We'll let them live, live on, this, on, the, uh, uh, on the grates. And these mental institutions, we'll close those down. We'll leave them around. If they shoot people, then we'll attack the gun. And now you see these same things that I saw 40 years ago, 50 years ago in India. And now it's exactly what you described in all of our major cities. 12 years ago, 13 years ago, New York City, was considered the safest major city in the world. Hmm. After, after four years of Republican, after four terms of Republican mayors, they'd taken that place that was horrible in the 1970s, 70s, yeah. with all of the spray paint and all the corruption and all that, and cleaned it up and made it safe. And Juliana, I said, I want a woman to be able to walk down the street at 11 o'clock at night unmolested, regardless of where she is, cleaned up uh, the, 
the uh, Times Square and all the rest. They elected the, the new mayor. The very first thing he said was, when they jumped the turnstile, people don't pay, we're not going to arrest them. That meant that the bums could go move into the trains, into the subways. They could just sleep there, stay there 24 hours a day, rob persons if they wanted to. And, and said, then the next step was that people who, who defecate on the sidewalk, we're not going to arrest them. And so they just destroyed the city until, and, and the thing is, they only do that every time. <laughs> yeah, they only do that every time. Well, uh, so what do you think, uh, the people that are watching today, um, what is the, the most important thing that we can do just as everyday average Americans, you know, we're not office holders, we're not set in policy, uh, but we love our country and we want to make a difference. Well, uh, and, and that's, that's a good thing. It's a good question to ask because it's our responsibility. Mm -hmm. When you realize that just a handful of people that when you take some of these things, uh, these weird ideas, well, it, it happens because nobody else shows up. You know, mm -hmm. there, there's only three to five percent of the people that, that even go, go to vote. So I, I remember I was running in, in our hometown. We were newlyweds, my wife and I, and, and we ran into the county chairman. And uh, I said, how is the city council race doing? He said, oh, not well at all. I said, well, how many do you think we're going to win? Oh, I don't think we're going to win any of them. I said, well, what are you doing about? Oh, we're not doing anything at all. I thought, well, that's an interesting program. And so uh, we got about five or six teenagers, and we invited them out to our house. I said, we were newlyweds. We didn't have any children. In, in my hometown there, Hillsborough, Ohio, there were four uh, four wards, and they had one ward from each, and then he had three at large. So he had seven members of the city council. So I printed the names of the people running from each of the four, and, and then the three, and we invited these teenagers over, and we had pizza. And I said, now here's, here's the ward, you can walk this in a night. I want you to go knock on every door, give them the, the local person, plus the three at large, and ask them to vote for them. And I want you to do that twice, between now and election day, and then everybody whose ward wins will come back and we'll have a steak dinner. I said, all right, fine. Well, how many do you think we won? We won all of them because people just showed up and did something. Yeah. And, and that's why the people who hate our country, who are really, really weird, they know how easy it is just to go out and, and register. Most of, most of the precinct committee posts are empty. Um, many of the state legislative races are empty. People win by default and people didn't even put their name in. So in answer to your question, what do you do about it? First of all, you need to stand before God and say, I am going to register to vote. Now, it's intimidating if you've not done it. When you find out how simple it is, and I'll, get, I'll make a confession, I was in my 30s before I learned how to make coffee. I thought it was complicated. Many times at the end of the meal, I'd say, would you like to have some coffee? And I would say, oh, there's not much left. I don't want to make them have to do that over again. And no, thank you. I'd pass it up. Until finally my wife said, you know how, let me explain to you. Here's how you do it. <laughs> One scoop is two cups. Two, two scoops is four cups. You decide, you add the water, that's all there is to it. I said, oh my goodness. And yeah. now as I look back on it, I think, I can't believe it. I went 20 years not knowing how to do that. Mm -hmm. That's the way voting is. Yeah. So you've never gone to the, to the voting booth. You've never registered to vote. Here's how complicated it is. You have to know your name, you have to know your address, and you have to know your birth date. Now, if you've got those three things down, and you can work on them for a week to make sure you don't miss them, and then you fill it out, you then can register to vote. And now we have these voting sessions. We have like two, three months of doing it. Used to, you did have to show up on election day. Now you don't even have to do that. Yeah. So if you will just do that and be faithful, and then people that are around you, if there are more than 40 to 45 million, and David Barton points this out much better than I, 45 million self-identified evangelical Americans that have been trusted with the greatest nation in the history of mankind who do not bother to vote.
Mm -hmm. If we showed up, we would win every school board, every city council. All these things that we pray about would be solved because we actually did what God handed us the, the tools to do. Right. And this year, so it's 2023, so there's no congressional elections. There's no, go well, there might be in a couple states, governor elections, but uh, no, no federal elections. Uh, but it's still a super important election. And that's because I believe school boards, um, Absolutely. It, you know, the, the, the percentage of voters that turn out for a school board election is pretty small, depends on your area, uh, but it can be even in the single digits as far as the, the percentage of total voters. So our voice is magnified and there's nowhere that you can have more of a direct impact on the future generations than school boards. That's my position on it. I'm encouraging uh, believers everywhere in America to, to get out and vote in this year's school board elections. And we've got to turn back this socialist, Marxist, CRT, LGBT indoctrination stuff that's going on or uh, so let no me hope. let me explain. The first school board in the history of the United States that said that boys, if they felt like being a girl, could go in the girls' locker room was the Fort Worth School District in Fort Worth, Texas. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I don't remember the figures exactly, but I know it was less than 2,000. It was about 1,300 votes that the person who proposed that in that school district got. He didn't win by that much. That's how many votes he got in a district that has 93,000 students mm. in a population of 800,000 citizens. Incredible. And, and he got less than 2,000 votes. Now there are churches within walking distance of the Board of Elections that have thousands of members. If any one of those churches would show up, that would never happen. That was the first and then it began to cascade from there. Why? Because Christians abandoned their post. And, and Satan likes to keep us doing good things. And so, uh, you know, I, well, the reason I, I, I couldn't help that person get elected or, or mm. do that sign was because I had an Awana meeting and it was a special need that we mm. had to go. And, and, and they try to, try to Christianize it. Listen, we're going to stand before God and say, do you know the number of people in, in Iraq and Syria that lost their lives? You know how many Christians in Nigeria that were run over and their churches were burned and they were burned inside of them because we had a weak America, which there wasn't anything that they could do about it, but because you didn't do your part of electing godly leaders for America, they were able to, able to run wild. I did the prayer breakfast in 2000. Well, I, I did six of them in a row, but uh, the, the first year after Biden got elected in, in Ukraine, and they came up and just pulled my friends. Don't you understand what what you're doing in America? And they, they could see what was coming at them from Russia mm -hmm. because of, of having taken having dismissed a genuine leader and appointed someone that when when Biden when Putin put 30,000 votes, Biden didn't do anything. Put 60,000 arms on on the border, didn't do anything. 90, 120,000. Finally, it looked like he's going to intrude. What is America's response? And Biden says, well, we'll have to see the, the degree of incursion that takes place. In other words, that's a green light just to go. Now, there's nothing that those people could do about it, but it was all in our hands. And if we sat on our couch and didn't do it, we will stand before God for not being faithful, and that's what we—that's what we have to prevent. And beginning this this year, they're electing a governor in Mississippi, or Louisiana, in in Virginia, or not in Virginia, a state legislature in Virginia, but a new governor in Kentucky, and that's re there's a world of difference between the current governor and the candidate to replace him in Kentucky. Yeah. Well, we do have some callers on the line here, Bob. Let's see if we can uh, take one of these with the time we have left. We've got uh, another, uh, we've got Bob from South Carolina calling in. Uh, Bob, uh, thanks for calling. What's your question for Congressman McEwen? 
Yeah, hi, Congressman McEwen. Um, so much of the world seems to be Marxist socialist. I've heard that um, uh, Argentina and uh, and other countries in South America might be becoming more conservative. Is there any hope out there that oh. the world is turning more conservative? Oh, ab absolutely. Freedom is never free. It's always that way. And so uh, the Brezhnev doctrine, once a country went, went Marxist, uh, it never retreated. And, and Ronald Reagan said, that's nonsense. We, we, can, we can get make Nicaragua free. And, and while we're at it, and then lo and behold, the entire Soviet Union collapsed. So this, it's a battle. And I'll just tell you as an aside, I was on the Intelligence Committee, which keeps track and funds the, the to watch who our enemies are. And so after the Soviet Union collapsed, those on the left said, uh, why? You know, this is the end of history. We don't need to have this budget. Who are our enemies? America's on top. And I, and I remember going to the well and saying to Barney Frank from Massachusetts, I said, this is exactly what happened after World War I. That is, we'd won the war to end all wars. We'd ended the Great War. I said, if you could explain to those people but before their children were 19 years old that they would be back here fighting Hitler doing exactly the same thing. Freedom is never free. There's always a fight that's coming. And so uh, right now, it ebbs and flows. Argentina is one of the most pathetic things in the world, was the fourth richest nation in the world uh, in, in the in early 1930s. And, uh, it, it went, and right when it goes to right itself, and it's doing, then it comes in, the socialists come in and destroy it again, it goes back and forth, back and forth. We have to make sure that America, does, that's, this is the place they could escape to. And Venezuela was the fourth richest nation in the Western Hemisphere just uh, a handful of years ago. And now those people that are escaping, coming to America, and they understand what socialism and communism is like, and so they love America, and they've moved to South Florida and Broward County, just north of Dade County, it has always been a solid, corrupt Democrat county. It's beginning to turn red, and as these Venezuelans who love freedom have moved in there, and, and so you'll notice that just a couple of weeks ago, Biden announced that he's going to return these people to Venezuela. Now, interesting, out of all the millions of people coming mm. across the border, who's he sending back? He's sending back the people that know exactly the distinction between America and socialism. And he, he doesn't want those people here. But in answer to your question, it's a constant battle. But we can't become weary in well-doing because we're, we're right. And people will always want to come to freedom. And if America is so evil, why are people crawling over barbed wire and cut glass to come to this country? If yep. we're so racist, why are people swimming and rowing across the Atlantic to get to Brazil, to take a train, to make it up to the south border from all over the planet if we're so bad? So uh, it's the greatest place in the history of man. Amen. Well, uh, well, let's take another call, Bob. Let's go to Sandy from California. Sandy, I see that you are a partner uh, of Truth and Liberties. Thank you for your support. What uh, looks like you might have one or two questions, but let's just go with the first one, should we? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Um, again, I'm dealing with a pro-Palestinian, and I don't know how to answer this, but she said that there are two states, Israel and Palestine, each with their own uh, government. But Israel keeps spurring new settlements illegally in strategic places and building Israeli-only roads around Palestinian towns, forcing, forcing Palestinians to move out in recent months. Israeli judges have issued evictions to Palestinians so that settlers can take over. If you have a farm and Israel decides to build an Israeli-only road, you can no longer access your half of your farm. So there is a Palestinian authority, but it's governed by Israeli law. Is this proof 
or is this false? Very simply, that's not the case. Uh, Israel is a, is a democracy, which means that there are Muslim and Arab members of the Knesset, the, the Congress. Uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Muslim-run areas, let's take Gaza, for example, uh, that place was maintained as stability by the, by the uh, Israelis for a long time. But it was so expensive and so difficult, they built these beautiful businesses and all, that finally they said, it's too much trouble for us, we're going to let them run it themselves and we're going to withdraw. And so they withdrew the Jewish businesses and the, and the Jewish residents into the Gaza Strip. One of the first things that they did within a matter of hours, they went through and, and, and there were hot houses with these wonderful, where they sold flowers and fruits to Europe. And they turned it over to them. Within hours, they took hammers and broke every single pane, saying because these are Jewish panes, they were, and destroyed the hot houses and created the chaos. And then they had their first election. This was in 2005. The next year, they had their first election and they chose Hamas, the people that we're talking about, to run that Gaza Strip. And it was for a two-year term. And they've never had an election since. And so those people have, have now maintained that control of the folks. The democracy, where those people would go across the border and be able to work in Israel and, and all. And that's where Israel let its guard down because it, it was certainly no threat to the people in, the, in, in Gaza. But, uh, and so they were vulnerable that when they decided to come across by breaking through the wall and flying in and doing all the rest, that they were able to kill those, those uh, hundreds and hundreds of people. So the, the proof is, is, in the, is in the pudding, and that is there, there are no elections in the Arab countries uh, surrounding Hezbollah, which is, which is the Shiite arm of Iran in the northern part, which controls the southern part of Lebanon, which is a threat to Israel. The other Sunni part in the Gaza part, funded also by Iran, uh, attacking Israel. So if, if, if Israel is, <laughs> is smaller than New Jersey, it's a little place that, where Jews want to live in peace, and the rest of it has goes on for 56 countries as far as the eye can see, and uh, the, Israel is not a threat to them, as they, as they always say. If, if they were to put down their arms, Israel would not overrun them. If Israel puts down their arms, Israel would disappear. So I, I'm afraid that that's the only answer that I can give you in that regard. I just say in, in answer, shortly after the wall fell, I was speaking in Czechoslovakia, and these folks that had been trained under communism, young people, one of them stood up and said, America's not so great, and, and uh, you're just as evil, and you're, you're worse than, than the Soviet Union, and all this kind of thing. And you think, do I want to argue with this person? I just said, I said, well, let's just give it the gate test. Let's just lift the gate and see which way people go. And that'll answer your question, and that's, that's kind of where we are with the, with the PLO and the freedom in, in Israel. Yeah, great, great, great answer there. And Sandy, uh, I uh, appreciate you calling in. The, my screen is showing you have a second question about Mike Johnson being a supporter of BLM. Uh, I think I can assure you that he's not, if that's your question. So It is my question because Matt Walsh from The Daily Wire wrote that. He wrote an article the other day saying um, everybody likes Mike Johnson, but why don't you guys ask him why he supports BLM? It's on his website. Okay. Okay. Uh, that, that's a worthy challenge. So I thank you some for raising that. <laughs> yeah, we'll take a look. Well, one last question I think we've got time for, Bob. I want to I talk about the, the escalating escalation of the conflict in Israel. 
Um, and, uh, you know, the uh, Hezbollah and others have been firing uh, rockets on American positions, American bases. Uh, the United States has had to shoot down some missiles, and um, uh, we've got Turkey making threatening remarks, uh, Ergodon and, and uh, all these other things. What are we looking at here if this war widens and other actual states enter into it, like Turkey, Syria, Lebanon? The only time there is peace is when there's a balance of power. Never in the history of man has one nation had the capacity to overrun another nation, but what it didn't do it, with the single exception, the United States of America after World War II, when we could have taken any nation that we wanted. But the second that Saddam Hussein thinks that he can take over Kuwait, he knows there's only one person can stop him, the President of the United States. If he loses faith in the President of the United States stopping him, he'll go do it. Mm -hmm. The second that Putin thinks that he can go into Ukraine and get away with it and take, and, and take Crimea, as he did under Obama, mm -hmm. he did it. He, he didn't do a thing under Trump. But the second Trump's gone, then, so weak, weakness invites aggression. Yeah. And so we see the entire world falling apart. We, and as, as they, over 100 times in the last recent months, Americans have been attacked in the Middle East. America has responded only four of those times. So they know that they can spit at us, they can shoot at us, they can kill, and, and, and this leadership will not do anything. We're about out of time. Let me quickly say, Richard Nixon pointed out, the strength of any nation is found economic, military, political. Do they trust their system? And leadership. Mm -hmm. Leadership is as important as the other three or four. Now, uh, Russia ha has no economy to speak of, has a strong military. People don't trust the system, but strong leadership uh, can, can make for trouble. When we elect weak leaders in America, the rest of the world is afraid. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I really appreciate you coming on the show, Bob. I did not yet plug your DVD that I think is the best explanation of why free enterprise is biblical and better than socialism that I've ever seen. Anybody can understand it. It's phenomenal. It's called Politics Easy as Pie. Where can people get a copy of that? Well, I'll bet they can contact you and they, and they can do it. They can go on the Truth and Liberty website exactly. and find we'll, a link. We'll, we'll get it to them. And you and Andrew are two of my favorite people in the world. But BobMcEwen.com, if they go online, uh, we, can, we, we can get it to them. We can now download it. We had CDs in the past, but now we'd have both. All right. Well, folks, uh, what a blessing this has been to have Bob with us on the show today. And I did want to remind you guys to check out the Truth and Liberty resources page on our website. We have hundreds of links there that are designed to help you get informed and get equipped to stand in the public square. And I asked the congressman earlier, what should people do? You know, there's a lot of ideas on our website, including uh, starting a civic action team in your local church. And there's lots of ministries that offer that opportunity. So I just want to encourage you in our final seconds to actually do something. I know this conversation has probably made a lot of you upset and angry and frustrated. That's when you need to act. Don't just get mad, but take action. So uh, I know there's enough of us out there who love the Lord and believe in our country that if we do get involved, we can turn this thing around. So thank you so much for watching. Again, thank you, Bob, for coming on the show today. It's My been honor. such a blessing. And uh, uh, thanks thank to you, all. Richard. Yeah, thanks to all of you for watching. Be sure to tune in tomorrow on uh, our website and social media pages to watch the next installment of Truth and Liberty's live call-in show. And uh, don't forget Andrew's prayer line, which is 719-635-1111. And we do have some exciting events coming up here at the ministry. You'll want to check out awmi.net for information about those. God bless you, and we'll see you again next time.
Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.